you and we'll keep praying for you. Dave and I were at a leaders meeting yesterday, a leaders breakfast, and I leant over to Dave and said to him that I'm going to preach on grace today. That's what I felt God say. Uh, and Dave said, well, that's good because that's been on my heart for a while. And that's come across all woven all the way through the service. At that point, the guest speaker of the day uh, for the breakfast yesterday was also on the table with us, leant over and said, guess what I'm preaching today? I'm going to be talking about grace. And so God's doing something. Uh, and uh, I, I want to really just pick up on the threads that, that actually have already begun to be sown throughout this meeting. What time do we finish? About three, is it? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, five. I, I, I want to just start on this premise, and I think I've shared this with you before, that our belief has to result in our behavior. What we believe about God has to translate in how we live our lives. Uh, let me give you some examples. So if we believe that God is a God of love, then our belief translates in our behavior, and we have to live a life of love. If we believe a God of power, then our lives are connected to that power through the Son, Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, and we flow with the power of God. If we believe that God is a God of supernatural, then our lives have a supernatural element. Uh, so our belief results in our behavior. Uh, and that goes with, and that's on many levels, and that goes with grace. At the core of our Christian Foundation at the core of our Christian faith is that God is a God of grace. And it follows that actually, if we believe that God is a God of grace, then our lives need to be that of grace. That is harder to do than it is to say. As David just led us so beautifully in the communion when it comes to forgiving those people who have hurt us. And, and Greg just sang that uh, amazing prophetic song uh, about people hurting us uh, and still following Jesus, still living in the flow. And so what I want to just for a few moments this morning, I want to talk and I want to use a, a, a story from scripture. I want to talk about living in grace's flow. Grace is simply the unmerited favor of God. So turn to the person next to you and say, Grace is the unmerited favor of God. <laughs> I'm, I'm always fascinated by looking at the character of God. In fact, actually, that very... Uh, funny story with the, the chair claps in. In that moment, I was actually teaching about the character of God found in the Old Testament. And one of the examples I used uh, during that teaching session that uh, Russ has just shown is that actually in the story of Noah, when, when God looked at the people that he had created and just saw evil and destruction and depravity. Yet there's a, there's a, and so we often use that story of Noah uh, and it comes synonymous with, with the judgment of God. Uh, and we often think on those lines when we understand the story of, of Noah. Yet there's a line in that story in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 where it simply says this. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah found grace 
in the eyes of God. So in a world of, of depravity, in a world of, of sin and evil, in a world that had turned his back, its back on the love of God, there was still something about the nature of God where he was looking for grace. And I love that about God. I, 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 I love that about the nature and the character of God. That even amongst all this evil, God was still looking through the eyes of grace. And that's the character of God. Now the privilege that you and I have, as I just mentioned before, is that through the Spirit of God, through yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, which is the very presence of God, actually what happens is the character of God can begin to be formed in our lives. Now we can never pretend to be God. That would be blasphemy. And that would be arrogant and actually utterly foolish. So we can never pretend to be God. But the greatness of God is that through his spirit, he gives those who believe in him and through his son and who are in his son the opportunity to to grow in his character. So it's through the Spirit of God working in inside of our lives. When we give ourselves or yield ourselves to the Spirit, it produces, Galatians chapter 5 tells us, the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you know that. And the fruit of the Spirit is the nature and the character of God that forms in our lives. So that's why we can confidently say our belief results in our behavior if we are living in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Grace is a character of God. God looks through the eyes of grace. And we are the benefactors of the grace of God. So, uh, if grace is the unmerited favor of God, every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus have actually benefited in grace's flow into our lives. But there's a, there, there's a process, there's a flow into our lives, and then there must be a flow out of our lives. Grace has freely been flow, kind of flowed into our lives. Now grace must freely flow out of our lives. So I just want to talk for a few moments about a character in the Old Testament that you may or may not be familiar with, uh, called, a character called Mephibosheth. Now that's quite a tongue twister. I can't even say twister. Uh, so I want you to help me. So I want you to say with me Mephibosheth. So if I get it wrong, can you correct me? Because it's a bit of a talk, Mephibosheth. But let me tell you the story this way. You'll find the story in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. I'm going to start with 1 Samuel. And so you might want to find in your Bible kind of 1 Samuel. Then we're going to get on to 2 Samuel. Obviously, I'm not going to read the whole lot. But let me just kind of tell you uh, this story. There was a young man called David. He was God's anointed. He had God's anointing upon him one day he will be king over Israel but in that moment he's on the run and he's fearing for his life because the existing king a guy called Saul was kind of riddled with jealousy and rage and wanted to kill the young uprising uh, fresh king David or the guy who would be king and so the existing king was riddled with jealousy. He wanted to do away with David. So David had the anointing of God on his life and had to run for his life. In the middle of those two gentlemen, there was a guy called Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son, but also he was a friend 
of David. So he was in the middle. Now, he, Jonathan, was really the heir to the throne. Because his father was the king, and he was really heir to the throne. If anything happened to his, his, his father, he could take the throne. However, he turned and looked at his friend David and saw that there was an anointing on his life. And so therefore, naturally speaking, it was his own best interest to do away with David. If he would do away with David, there would be nothing stopping him taking the throne. However, because he recognized the anointing upon his friend... Actually, instead of having opportunity to do away with uh, David, he actually did everything to help him. He showed him grace. He showed him favor. Do away with him and he will take the throne. But he didn't. He actually sided with him. He blessed him. He favored him. He showed him incredible favor and protected him. So David now lives with grace. Because somebody who could take his throne actually released him. Fast forward. That was, you'll, you'll find that story in 1 Samuel. Fast forward into 2 Samuel. Uh, and now the scenario is that both the old king Saul and the son Jonathan have been killed in battle. And David now takes the throne. Many of you know this story. The story of King David. He takes the throne. When in that culture, somebody takes the throne, it was well within the culture that actually when somebody takes a throne, they, they actually uh, get rid of every trace of the other family who were on the throne. So they do away with all the family members. And gruesome, but that was true. Enter a young man or a young boy called Mephibosheth. Say with me, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, are you following this? I feel like I'm on Jack and Ori. (laughs) Mephibosheth was no other than the son of Jonathan, the grandson of the king, Saul. He was a toddler when all this happened. And one day, you can read uh, about this uh, in the scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, and the scenario is that uh, uh, one day uh, Mephibosheth as a toddler is with his nanny uh, and word comes in from the battlefield that his father Jonathan and his grandfather the king have been killed his nanny picks him up fearing that actually they're going to be in trouble because of the culture I've just said, picks him up and tries to flee out of the royal palace. In doing so, what happens, the nanny drops him. It's a true story. It's all in the scripture. True story. The nanny drops him and crushes his legs. And so now this, say with me, Mephibosheth uh, is now, he was once a, a, a grandson of the king, a son of the heir apparent. He was growing up in the royal courts. Now he is both on the run for his life and he is crippled. Crippled, physically crippled in his heart. Fast forward a a little bit further. King David 
He's now the king. He's the most powerful man in the whole of the nation. When King David comes into a room, everyone bows. When King David speaks, his words are not idle words. They're carried through. He's the most powerful man in the whole of the nation. He could command life. He could command death. Now, actually, ultimately, that's God. But as the earthly king, he had the authority. Yet, there was something in the life of David where he understood that grace demands a response. There was something in the life of David where he understood that years ago, somebody showed him favor. And the only reason he's king today is because somebody showed him grace and favor. And that was Jonathan. And so what he does, he then flips that around and simply says, are there any living descendants left of Jonathan? Because I want to show favor to them. I want to show grace to them. I've received grace and favor. Now I want to live grace and favor. Let me read to you. Now having sowed that backdrop, let me read to you a part of that story from 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, is there anyone, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Mekir, son of Emiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said to Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show kindness, you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will be always, you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba. Saul's steward and said to him I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that you that your master's grandson may be provided for and Mephibosheth grandson of your master will always eat at my table now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then Ziba said to the king your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son, King Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. In that story, you will find two parallels that I want you to hold on to in just these few moments I'm going to give you now this sounds scary because of time but I'm just going to do bullet points 
I'm going to give you seven things that grace does to our lives that we now need to do for others. And I want you to see these seven things in two ways. I want you to see them as what God has done for you. Because every point I'm going to raise from this moment until we finish is the incredibleness of God into your life. But then I want you to see that now we have a responsibility that once we've received these things, which are incredible in the self, then actually we have to now live that out with God's help in our lives, using this story as an example. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, we are to grow in grace. You see, the enemy would love us to be able to leave grace at the salvation doorstep. You see, when we get saved, we receive grace. And the enemy would just love us to leave it there. But when we get saved and receive grace, that is only the doorway to a lifestyle of grace, full living. And that's what I just want to speak into right now. So if you want to make these notes of these, you can do. If you want a copy of my notes later, then uh, I might do some sponsor. No, you can have them for free as well. But let me give you these seven truths. This truth, first of all, grace will find you first. Simple truth. Grace will find you first. King David asked, is there anyone still left in the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness? You see, grace always starts in the throne room. King David on his throne simply made a a, a statement. He he took the initiative from his throne room and said, is there anyone I can show kindness to from the household of Saul? You see, grace starts in the throne room. It starts in the throne room of heaven. And when you've received grace, it has only come from one source. It's come from the throne room of heaven. You've not gone out looking for it yourself. You can't get it yourself. There's no way you can get it yourself. It starts in the throne room. Here's the thing though. Now, because you've received grace from the throne room, that grace has enabled you now to live in that throne room. And so now you are a son and daughter of the king. Turn to the person next to you and say, I like your throne. Let me, I don't say that as an arrogant statement, I say that as a truth statement because the Bible tells us that, we are, we are, we are, uh, that Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and the Bible also says that we've been raised up with Christ, Amen. seated in the heavenly realms. So actually we are seated now in the heavenly realms. If grace always starts from the throne and you've received it from God, now because you're in the heavenly realms, you're part of the royal family, grace has to start from you. You have to take the initiative now to live by grace. It's part of who we are as God's people. You see, the world would love to pass judgments on who deserves grace and who doesn't. You see it in the press all the time. The press decide on behalf of the nation who we should support and who we shouldn't. I, I don't get me wrong, I'm not kind of religiously against the press. I believe in freedom of press. But I think they play a very fine line in telling us who deserves grace and who doesn't. I I believe that we live in a culture that loves to build people up and then as soon as they do something wrong, we love to knock them down. That is anti-Christian. You do not have that prerogative. 
you do not get to decide who gets grace because if we play that game none of us would be here is that true? so grace starts in the throne room and we sit in the throne room secondly God's grace remembers us Mephibosheth forgotten by his nation abandoned by his family there was no reason for Mephibosheth to be remembered he was just in his own words a dead dog but grace remembered this nobody grace remembered him grace moved towards him there were no I remember my beautiful wife preaching a very powerful sermon many years ago uh, entitled there were no dead, dead dogs in the kingdom uh, and it's a profound message and it's true there are no dead dogs in the kingdom God remembers us uh, David's advisors were quick to point out that, that actually this guy's lame in both feet as if it would make a difference to David so David didn't want to show kindness to get something from, from Mephibosheth in return because Mephibosheth couldn't give anything in return. He showed grace simply because that's what he needed to do. And so we don't show grace to get something back. We show grace because grace is what we ought to do. It's the way we live. Part of maturing in... I'm going to have to go very quickly on these, aren't I? But part of maturing in the Christian faith is that we begin to see life through the eyes of God. I think I've spoken about this before when I've had the privilege to speak before. So actually we begin to see through, through the glasses. Remember we talked about Noah, uh, uh, God, uh, kind of Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So there's something about the perspective of God where he's looking for grace. One of the things that happens when we mature in Christ is that we choose to do life through the eyes of God. And so we choose, choose to see the good in people. We choose to see the potential in people. We, we choose to see, you remember the, the woman who was caught in adultery, who was about to be stoned. When, 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 when the people around her saw trash, Jesus saw treasure. He saw from a different perspective. I, I, and, and now we've received that perspective, we need to live with that perspective. Thirdly, God's grace pursues us. God's grace will go wherever you are. There is no place too far. You can never outrun grace. Now one day we know that Jesus is coming back and there will be a judgment on the world. We understand that at an appointed time. But whilst we still have breath in our bodies, there's no place that grace cannot reach. Truth. No matter what you've done, wherever you are, if you've got breath in your body still, there's opportunity for grace. It's interesting that Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar simply meant a place of no pasture. A barren place, a desolate place. Can you imagine putting on your forms, where do you live? I live in a desolate place. That's my postcode. Now many people live there. Maybe you have lived there in your life before in a desolate place. But grace pursued you. But even if you live in the most barren place, grace can still find you. Fourthly, God's grace carries us. Mephibosheth was, was crippled. Even if, even if Mephibosheth wanted to get back to the palace, 
Even if he wanted to reconcile with David, even if he wanted to advance in life, there's no way he could move. He was crippled in both legs. So what happened is that grace that started in the throne room simply came to him and picked him up and carried him to the throne. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. You see, even deep in our sin, deep in our depravity, actually there's no way, even if we wanted to reconcile with God, you know this, it's just a simple gospel. There's no way that actually we can get to God. So what happens is in Jesus Christ, grace comes to us and picks us up and carries us to the palace, carries us to the throne room. That's grace in. And that should be grace out. Friends, let me encourage those of you who are struggling at the moment. When you can't walk any further, let grace carry you. Let me say that again, because I believe it's for somebody right here, right now. When you can't walk any further, let grace carry you. When you can't believe anymore, let grace carry you. When you're weak, let grace carry you. When you've been crippled in life, let grace carry you. The unmerited favor of God. One of my all-time life scriptures, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, simply says my grace is, many of you know it, my grace is what? Sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And there's a flow out. So let me ask you, we've received that grace. It's carried us to the throne. And let me ask you this question. Who are you carrying at the moment? Who are you carrying? Who are you helping? Who are you showing grace to? It's a beautiful story in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John were going to church. And as they were going to church, they were confronted by a crippled beggar and asking for money. Many of you know the story, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I have, in the name of Jesus, I give to you. And the guy was healed. There's a beautiful image there. What happens is that they, 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 they lift him up and they, they, they walk with him into the temple courts, walking and talking and praising God. There's a beautiful image of evangelism there. Actually, we meet people where they are, we offer them Jesus, and then we help to carry them into the presence of God. Absolutely beautiful. Let me ask you a question again. Who are you carrying at the moment? Who's on your heart? Who this week are you going to send a text to? Who this week are you going to call? And say, actually, I'm praying for you. You may not put it in these words, but in your heart, what you're saying is, I want to carry you to the throne room of grace. Flow in. Flow out. I know time is gone, so I need to be quick. Fifthly, grace is where you abandon your crippled past. See, grace was offered to Mephibosheth. They offered to carry him. But Mephibosheth, the only thing that he had to do is accept the invitation. And in doing so, he had to leave his life of crippleness. Now, I'm not talking, of course, physically in that moment for him. But I mean, because of what happened in life, he'd become crippled in life. 
There are so many people, even Christians, who live with a victim mentality. And so what do I mean by that? Simply because what is... Because life can be pretty, life can be pretty cruel, yeah? Come on, speak to me. Can, can, life can be pretty cruel. And, and often what that happens, when, when, when life is being pretty cruel, what that sometimes does is it puts us in a victim mentality. We're suddenly with a victim all the time. Actually, when grace finds us, we no longer have to be the victim. We can be the victor. But we have to make a mind shift. We have to say, I'm no longer going to be the victim. I'm actually going to move into the palace court and I'm going to be the victor. I'm now going to live with a different mindset. Mephibosheth could have, could have lived the rest of his life in bitterness and, and jealousy like his grandfather. He could have lived in, in regret. He could have lived in... But actually now he's been given an opportunity to eat at the table of the king. But that means a shift in mindset I've written this down in my notes and I want to read it because I don't want to get it wrong God desires to trade your past for his presence I wrote it down because I believe again it's for someone today God desires for you to trade your past for his presence let go of that victim mentality and I'm not saying what has happened is right or wrong because life can be pretty horrible People can be pretty horrible to us. And I'm not making light of that. But there comes a time when we understand the unmerited favor of God. That we have to learn to leave that. And trust it to God. And to start living as a victor. Start living where you've been destined to live. And that's in the throne of heaven. Which leads us on to this sixth place grace is where you discover who you're born to be you're very quiet is this making sense Mephibosheth was born to be in the palace but because of situation and circumstance in life he had to flee from, from his inheritance he had to leave the place where he was born to be. He was born to be in the king's palace. He was the grandson of the king. He was the son of the heir to the throne. Actually, he was born to be a son of the king. He was born to be a prince. He was born to be a member of the royal family. Uh, but actually, because of the cruelty of life, he had to f- uh, flee and he got crippled. And maybe as he was growing up, maybe there were moments where he dreamt about what it would have been like to grow up in the palace as a young man. But maybe over the years, those dreams began to get shattered. Those dreams began to get thwarted. And maybe he was beginning to give up on his dreams. And maybe he was giving up, ever giving up the thought of ever being in the royal palace again. You see, there's so many people. There are so many people. Forgive me if I get passionate about this point. Because I think the enemy plays with so many people. And so many people carry around broken dreams in their lives. And it tries to, the enemy tries to define people by their broken dreams. And I was saying to a, a congregation just a few weeks ago, actually, so long as you've got breath in your body, your dream is not broken. Why? Because even if it's never fulfilled in your own life, you can actually invest in somebody, a younger generation, and they can see it fulfilled. Do not live as a victim. Carry your dream. 
You see, you've been destined to carry some God dreams. You've been destined to, to, to live in the royal courts. You've been destined to actually reign. And, I and it doesn't matter whether you're 8 or whether you're 88. You've still been destined to reign. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's speaking truth. You've been destined to reign in heaven. And what happens is that grace allows that to happen. It's a perpetual position. Because now it's not just a once a moment fuzzy feeling we have when worship is great. And and it's all great in church as Dave said before. Which it is. But actually the, the word says that actually Mephibosheth continually ate at David's table. I prepare a, a table in the presence of my enemies, the psalmist says. It's an intimate position. He's now not a servant. He's now not crippled. He's actually one of the king's sons. That's you and I. That's you and I. Grace is where you discover who you've been born to be. Let me close. Why don't we stand? Seventhly, grace is where you embrace God's favour at somebody else's expense. Let me say that again. Grace is where you embrace God's favour at somebody else's expense. Mephibosheth didn't earn that grace. The cost of that grace was paid by his father, Jonathan. Because David said, I'm showing you grace because of the kindness of your father. For us, it's slightly different. Actually, we receive the father's grace because of the son. So grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, we're not good enough for it. But because the son, Jesus, paid the price, it now means that we can live with a free flow of the favor of God upon our lives. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who's struggling with that concept, struggling with that truth. And I just want to encourage you right here, right now, if you're struggling to get your mind around this because you know that you've done things wrong, and the reason that you're here is because you want to connect with God, but you're not quite sure how that connection happens because you've done it wrong. Let me tell you, Jesus has paid the price for you. All you have to do is acknowledge that you've done something wrong and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I want to step into you. I, I, I want to live in you. Because then what happens is that Jesus becomes the carrier to take us to the throne room. And I want to just simply say, it's not about what you've done and what you haven't done. It's about what you do with Jesus right now. That's the, that's the, that's the whole point that, that the, the world turns. The whole point of human history is on this basic question, is what will we do with Jesus? We're debating about whether we go into Europe or stay in Europe or come out of Europe. We're debating about a whole host of things. That, that's a good debate, <coughs> healthy debate for the nation. 
the greatest question that anyone will ever, ever, ever face in their entire life is not where they live, not what job they have, not who they marry, is actually what you do with Jesus Christ. The greatest, without, without exception, the greatest question is what you do with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one that actually is the carrier of grace. It's him. And no matter what you've done, all you have to do is step into Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You paid the price for me to live in the throne room of heaven. If you've never done that. I want to pray for you in just a moment but the flow in flow out let me encourage you again and I, I don't want you to take this in any way shape or form as, as critical I just want to share it because it's a challenge upon all of our lives and I said it before we now don't get the decision of who deserves grace or not it's not the church's decision about who deserves grace it's not our decision. We don't get to decide. I think what this world needs is it needs the church. It needs the church to show the way that actually grace is no respecter of persons. And so we need to go out and live a life knowing that actually we don't get to decide. You don't get to decide. I don't get to decide who, who has grace. It's not our decision to make. I really believe, and it's easy to say this standing here, but I really believe that we are entering into a period of what I call a revolution of grace. Wherever I go, people are talking about grace. Now, there's a thing called hypergrace, which is a whole theology in itself, which is wrong, because that simply is a license to do whatever you want with no consequences. That's wrong. So we stay away from that. But actually, I believe grace is the heart of God. And I believe God is raising up the church for us to live by grace. For the reasons that I've said. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment. There are no dead dogs in the kingdom. Mephibosheth saw himself as a dead dog. There are no dead dogs in the kingdom. Only sons and daughters of the king. And I just want to pray right now with every head bowed and every person in prayer. If you are somebody here for whatever reason, whatever circumstance... You're here today and you need to receive God's grace. Whatever's going on in your world, we're not going to find out. We're not going to ask. But if you need to receive that favor of God because of stuff in your heart, then while nobody's looking around, I just want you to put up your hand and put it down again. So you say, Kevin, will you pray for me? Because I need to receive that grace. You should do that right now. Do that right now. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I want to thank you for the honesty of your brothers and sisters, uh, my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. Uh, I want to thank you for the honesty of your people this morning. And I want to pray, Lord God, that right in this moment, as your children open their hearts up, 
that they will receive again that unmerited favour upon their lives. Right now, right here. We may not feel it or sense it, but the truth is, grace will find them where they are. And they've been honest to say that they need your grace. They need carrying again. So I pray, Jesus, come and carry your children. Carry them to the throne room of grace. And as they acknowledge their wrongdoing, if that's the case, if they acknowledge their hurt, if that's the case, I know that you forgive those who, with an honest heart. And I pray over these beautiful people a release of the forgiveness of God right now. And I know that time's gone. So if you want to live a life of grace this week, and this should be all of us, just put up your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I commit myself to live for you. I commit myself to live in grace's flow. In Jesus' name I do pray.